Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Uh, we want to start this morning uh, with our, our message. I'm excited about this one. It, it doesn't really necessarily come down to a traditional message. Uh, Palm Sunday message, but it goes hand in hand and in line with where the church is and where the church has come from. And so as we continue in our sermon series, What About the Church of Christ? Uh, I've entitled this message where Jesus said, I will build my church. Notice he said, I will build it. Not I might or I could, I will. And so I had to think about that and I thought, has he done so? Has that actually happened? I think that you will find that Christ has indeed built His church. But what we need to do is take a look at what it looks like. What kind of church did He build? And how did He do so? And so if you have your Bibles, I would invite you today to turn to Matthew chapter 16. And if you would scroll down after you've gotten there to verse 13. Again, Matthew 16, verse 13. And you will find that this is the time when Jesus and His disciples we're having a very intimate discussion about a lot of different things, including the things that were to come uh, during the end times. And of course, they didn't understand that the end times would be literally centuries after they were long gone. They thought it would be not real soon uh, or not, not too far away after uh, uh, Jesus had left the earth or not too, too long from the time that they were speaking. And so if you scroll down there, you'll find that Peter is having a dialogue uh, with, with the Lord. And in this, Peter is given a revelation that I think probably kind of floored him. It would me if I were in Peter's shoes. But I think that this is one of the most in, uh, misinterpreted passages in the Scripture. And as you take a look at this, follow with me in, six, in, in uh, chapter 16, verse 13 of Matthew. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? And I want to pause there just for a minute because I like to put myself in the situation, and I'd like you to do the same. Jesus is asking us, look, I know what others say about me. I know who they say I am or I'm not. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And what would be your response? And herein is Peter's response. He answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter. 
And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so as I began to think about that particular passage, it dawned on me that as we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as king of his kingdom, we need to understand more today than ever about what he was doing as he placed himself through the will of God as the head of the modern church. And to do that, we're going to have to understand completely what Jesus was saying in our passage this morning. I think most people focus on the fact that Jesus said he would build his church upon Peter. And in a way, friends, I would agree that that is probably true. But notice that Jesus asks the whole complement of disciples who were all around at this point. He asks all of them who people said he is. And then he said, and who do you say that I am? He asked all of them. Peter was the one that answered. And so it wasn't just for Peter. It was for all of those that were around him. And then when he gets the answer from Peter, Peter says that he knew that Jesus was not only the prophesied Christ, but he was indeed the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but rather from God. Now, there's a reason that Jesus asked this question, this question and there's a reason why he made his statement. Because only those who have a relationship with God, my friends, would actually know this truth. You couldn't possibly know that Jesus is the Son of the living God if you didn't have a relationship with Him. Why? Because you wouldn't believe in an immaculate conception. Nobody would. And if somebody came up today and said, well, there's been another one, you wouldn't believe it. And there's obvious reasons for that. So in order to believe in such of a revelation, you would have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and with God. And so Peter obviously does. And notice then that Jesus says that he knows who Peter is as well. I know that you were Peter. In other words, I know you. I don't know you because you're the son of Jonah. I know that because you belong to me, because we have a relationship, because we have a spiritual connection. That is what Jesus is referring to. And I love that because that means that God, too, knows who we are because we are connected to the Father through the Son, and that means we belong to God. Important, isn't it? Because not everybody in this world, past, present, and future, do belong to God. Again, there's a common misconception that all humans are the children of God, and that's not true. We're God's creation, but we don't belong to Him until we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and come to God as an adopted person into the Jewish family. And so we need to remember that. Now, I know people are going to dispute that. But again, you know how I usually talk about things. If you don't believe that, bring a sack lunch and have, a, have an appointment with me because you're going to need it. Friends, God is specific about what he does and why he does it. And notice that because Peter began to understand and realize this truth, he continued uh, in his relationship with God through the Christ. And Jesus seems to be saying that it is upon this relationship that he has with Peter that the church is going to be built. 
not by Peter himself necessarily, but the people like Peter who have a relationship with the Son. This is what the church is and always will be built upon. It doesn't matter what name is on the front door. If it is a Christian church, it is built on the principles of a relationship with Jesus Christ, which connects us to God the Father, period. That's how the church is going to be built. So it wasn't on Jesus himself, and it wasn't on Peter himself. It was on a conglomeration of things that includes the people who have a relationship with the Son. So it isn't on a particular person. And in this case, Jesus was not talking about himself, although many Christians often misinterpret that. So, my friends, if Christ can only build the church so that the gates of hell cannot stand against it, the fact is, by having people who know the Lord and who the Lord also knows, it begs the question, how then will Christ actually build this church? How has Christ actually built this church? And how will He continue to do exactly that? Like you, I have many questions about that as I look over the church today. Because I'm not sure that we're doing what we ought to be doing spiritually and relationally with Christ. Now, let me explain that to you. You see, we're going to need correct and proper exposition of the Scripture in order to do this. Proper understanding of what Jesus was talking about. And I think we're building the church wrongly. I think we have, in some cases, built the church improperly. And I think we have, in many cases, built the church foolishly. Again, I want to explain that, and I want to use Scripture to do it. You see, friends, we're going to need correct and proper teaching to grasp it. Jesus has something to say about this in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, you remember that scripture. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house. Yet, it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish, foolish man who built his house, where? On the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And what happened? It fell with a great crash. Now, there has unfortunately been either wrong teaching or insufficient teaching on this subject in recent years, and let me explain why. The organization, the mission, the autonomy, and essentially, in my opinion, uh, the essentiality of the church is completely misunderstood by way too many people, friends. You see, the church is identified by many different terms in the Scripture which will give us a better understanding on the subject. In fact, the church was in God's eternal purpose and plans, according to Paul in Ephesians 3. It was uh, not an afterthought, according to Ephesians 1. Uh, and, and so I began to think about, well, if it wasn't an afterthought and it was planned, what church did Christ build? I mean, what has He actually done? Is it a spiritual house? Yes. It's not a physical building. It's not a material building. 1 Peter 2.5 tells us that. In fact, the example is that of constructing a temple in 1 Corinthians 3. It's living stones put together upon a proper foundation, one built upon the other, and we're all part of it, you see. That's how Christ has and continues to build the church. Now, sometimes the messengers are called builders in 1 Corinthians 3, Ephesians 2. But the essential truth is maintained, and that is, He is bringing together, get this, obedient people. 
people. Now let that sink into your mind just for a minute. Christ is bringing together obedient people who are suitable to be used as the building blocks, the building stones of His church. These people are those who listen to His truth. They are those who live accordingly. And they are those who answer His call. So it begs the question, how is Christ doing it? In order to answer that, I think we have to look at a couple of things. First, there has to be a plan to follow. And you can't build anything without plans, my friends. And if you do, well, I think you're going to find that it won't be built very well, and it's going to have an awful lot of things stopping it because it's not going to be a good foundation and it won't be a secure facility. So it begins with purpose. There has to be a pattern, a blueprint, and plans. Even the smallest of projects require this type of planning. I remember a number of years ago, I was planning to uh, have a shed in the backyard of uh, my house that I was living in. And so my wife and I went to Menards and uh, a couple other different uh, outlets, that we, we, and we would go into the building section, and we would get plans for these little sheds. And it stunned me how much, just for this little shed, of the planning that had to be in place for it. It had a material list. It had... Uh, the manner and way to do it, and it told you what steps to take. I think any good plan for any type of building is going to need that. So even the smallest of facilities require that type of a planning. And in many states and municipalities, plans are required in order just to even get a permit to build the smallest of structures. So planning has to be involved. There's also going to have to be an architect of some sort, a builder, and the materials. The right planner the right builder and the right materials are going to have to be selected. And then material has to be purchased and then it has to be placed inside the building. And each part has to hold up its own weight to be structurally sound. And the material is going to have to measure up to the architect's specifications. How many times have poor materials, wrong materials been used and what happened? Well, the facility didn't stand the test of time. Sometimes it didn't stand up even to be built. And so we have to be really careful when we build things like that, and building the church is no exception. Notice, too, that God had a purpose for building the church. In fact, the Father's special part was to draft the plan, to furnish the blueprint, and then the specifications. And we find that, again, in Ephesians 3, 10 to 11. And then God revealed prophecy of His plan to the prophets. 1 Peter 1 tells us that. But it was kept secret until it was time for the mystery to be revealed. Now, that's also interesting. And so there were those in the Old Testament that planned for and even practiced a sort of early version of the church according to Hebrews 9 and 10. And so God had a plan for this way, way before the church was actually established, even in the beginning of time, all the way through the thousands of years and centuries going into uh, the, from the Old Testament going into the New. And so God always had a purpose for building the church. And then the Holy Spirit revealed this plan. In fact, the Holy Spirit's special part was to do exactly that, to reveal the plan, and then to enable the apostles to, get this, release those plans and the details of those plans. Before this, the plan had not entered into the minds of men or even angels. How do I know that? Paul says so in 1 Corinthians, and Peter says so in 1 Peter. So even man or angels had no inkling that God was going to do this until the Holy Spirit revealed it. In essence, what Jesus was trying to say to us is this. Since God and His Spirit 
aren't lacking in anything. Now, we have, to re- we have to be mindful of this. I mean, is there anything God can't do? Is there anything the Spirit can't do? Is there anything beyond them? Obviously, as Christians, we would say no. So since there's nothing lacking on their part, if there was anything lacking in building the church, it would have to be through mankind, wouldn't it? We would have to be the weak link, wouldn't we? So everything necessary for building the church is available to humankind. The question is, are we able to first follow the plan as drafted and revealed and then be obedient enough to see it through? That, friends, is the question. So there has to be a plan. Secondly, there has to be a builder. Remember that. There has to be a builder. Now, everybody is choosy before they build a building because they want a builder that knows what they're doing, but also someone that they could get at a good price. And when I built my home, the only home I've ever built, we were choosy about who we wanted, and we knew where we wanted it to be. And so I suspect that everybody who's ever done it knows what I'm talking about. And even if you haven't, you've dreamed about it. So you would be choosy on who the builder is. Let's face it, a good builder, good house. Poor builder, not so much. So there has to be a builder. And Jesus Christ has to be the builder of the church. No ifs, no ands, no buts. He has to be the builder. Matthew 16 and Hebrews 3 all tell us that. Now, I want you to understand, people, whoever's listening in, whether you're from Free Life Community Church or whether you're from somewhere else, you have to understand this. We all have different theological differences. We all have different theological belief systems. We all follow some type of theology through somebody in history who put forth a theology that we agree with. You understand that? But I want to tell you that the Church of Christ, that Christ is building, even though this is a Wesleyan church, okay, the church isn't built by Wesley. It isn't built by Luther. It isn't built by Whitefield, and it isn't built by any other human. Now, those people were uh, part of the understanding of it, but it isn't built by them. It doesn't matter what your theological belief system is. These men were good theological guys, but they are not the builders of the church. Can't be. And I hope you understand that. And since they aren't, denominational and theological differences simply don't mean very much as it relates to building the church. Now, I know they're always going to be there, and there's reasons why. I get it. But that can't build the church, and they're not going to matter because that's not going to determine who we are. That might be how we practice it, but it isn't how it's built. In fact, Christ Himself built it as the Father willed for it to be built. In fact, we find in John 6, 38, Jesus said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of the Father. And so clearly Jesus was sold out to whatever the Father wanted in the first place. He clearly had workers under Him. We find that in in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians 2. And the material material for the spiritual house is the people. In fact, we find that out in the Acts of the Apostles. So remember that the material has to be purchased, okay? If we're the material, it has to be purchased in any building. And so what happened? Well, Isaiah told us in Isaiah 53 what the price paid was for the material to be purchased. In fact, if we understand it properly, Jesus' death acquired the people. It acquired you and me. And it was foretold centuries before it ever happened, before He ever came upon the earth. Now, isn't that interesting? And one by one, each one of us, from past, present, and into the future, He saves us, each one from our sins, as He humbly obeyed the Father in building His church. 
the material has to be properly prepared. This is clearly the cleansed people who submit to the washing of water by the Word. That's what the Bible says, the washing of water by the Word. Now, that's a sermon for another day, but you have to understand that the Word washes us and that we better take note of it. Not only that, but preparation is clearly part of our understanding the truth and then being obedient to it. If we don't understand, can't hardly be obedient. That's why parents spend so much time trying to help their children understand why these things are happening. And the parent that says, do it because I said so, isn't going to get very far and it isn't going to stick later on. And so Jesus is doing the exact same thing with His church. Now, this cleansing takes place as individuals such as you and me. We repent, we confess, we're baptized because that's required, okay? Now, it might not be able to do it right away, but sometime along the line you have to be baptized. And then you begin to live a righteous life while the Holy Spirit within you controls you day by day. And as He does that, He takes more control of you hour by hour, minute by minute, until pretty soon it's not you doing any controlling, it's Him doing it. And you can see the changes. In fact, it begins with a lot of other people noticing the changes, and then later on it kind of peters out a little bit and the changes aren't so large anymore, but you still see the changes that Christ is making in your life. I know I do, and I'm certain that you do as well. So He has to continue to do that. And so then after that takes place, now we find that this cleansing, okay, continues through life on an individual basis as each one of us repents and prays. And then when we fall, again, we have to go back to that confession, admit that you've done wrong, confess, repent, and what happens? Christ restores you. And that's, that continues over and over and over again in your life. Now, it ought to be less and less as life goes on, but that pattern still takes place, and He continues to do it on an individual basis. And isn't that a beautiful concept? So what do we learn about these facts? First of all, Christ built, He bought, and He cleansed the church. And we found that He continues to do that. The foundation has already been laid. The purchase price has already been paid. The cleansing blood has been shed. His sacrifice was once, and it is for all, any who will. Now, I know some theologies don't believe that. I do, and I believe that everybody here does. We believe that Christ died for anyone who will come, whosoever will, okay? Not just for communion, but the communion of Him is coming to Him in the first place. So whosoever will, for as often as they will, Christ invites and says, come to me. And so as His sacrifice was for all, we all work together. The construction continues as living stones are placed one upon the other on the foundation of Christ. Christ did not build, He did not buy, and He did not cleanse some sort of a vehicle into which you can come sit and ride home to heaven. That's what a lot of Christians are trying to do today. It doesn't work that way. And people say to me when I ask them, you know, what kind of Christian are you or what's your belief system? Well, I go to so-and-so church. I didn't ask you that. I don't care where you go to church. I want to know what you're doing to make yourself a Christian, to be part of Christ's church. That is the most important thing. And unfortunately, I think some people think it's identified by what name's on the door of the church they attend. Well, Christ made it clear that that's not true. So let's take a look at what the church actually is. Here's what Christ will do. Even though He won't make you into this vehicle to ride to heaven, He will construct you into His building. He will buy you from the slavery of sin. He will cleanse you from all spiritual filth. And if you only come to Him and continue to live in Him, then you'll be part of the people saved by His grace and you'll become members of His church. Are you today?
because that's what he's asking. Thirdly, there are some simple truths that I think we absolutely must take a look at. First of all, what is the makeup of the church? And friends, I want you to follow with me here. I don't want to be lengthy on this, but I want you to grasp what I'm about to tell you. To me, this was stunning when I did the research on this. And I put this message together, oh, gosh, I don't know, last, last year around Thanksgiving. And, 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 you know, of course, I didn't know that this pandemic was going to happen, uh, and I didn't know how churches would be affected. But this is important to understand where we've come in the last 10 years. I wanted to go back 20, but it's really been more observable in the last 10. Listen to this. There are literally thousands of churches in, in the United States. Now, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the United States of America, where we live now. There are literally thousands of churches. Amen? You understand that. Everybody gets it. Okay? In fact, according to Pew Research and Barna uh, Group, there are two entities that have done research into some of these things where I got my facts. There were more, get this, more than 400,000 churches at the close of the year 2019, which we just ended. Now, this includes both Catholic and Protestant churches. Lutherans and Episcopals are also included, even though they're considered Protestant, and there's a lot of reasons why that's true. I'm not going to go into that today. If you want to know about that, call me. We can talk about it, okay? But anything that isn't Roman Catholic is considered Protestant, even though you and I would say Lutherans and Episcopals, well, Episcopals are more Catholic and Lutherans are kind of a mix. Either way, they're considered Protestant. So it includes all of those. But we have to break this figure down. Remember, 400,000. Understand, first of all, that that is a growth of about 100,000 churches in the last 10 years. That means in the last 10 years, every year had a growth of 10,000 churches. You follow me so far? 100,000 in 10 years. Now, there's been an explosion since 20, uh, uh, 2009 as over 100,000, get this, new Protestant churches were started, mostly non-denominational. Some of them were denominational, but mostly they were not. They were non-denominational. Pew Research says that most of them weren't even necessary. Now, let me explain to you why they said it. Because demographically, the churches that were around them had plenty of room for people to attend. So they weren't really necessary. So it begs the question, then why were they started? Okay, why are they there? Well, they were started mostly due to personal preference in governance, beliefs, polity, and theology. I quoted that directly from them. That's why most of these 100,000 new churches were started. Now, there's something else to consider. Of the 400,000 churches, over 100,000 of them are not Christian-based churches. Are you following me? Of the 400,000, 100,000 are new. Another 100,000 are not Christian in their origin. Think about that for a minute. This is stunning to me. There's been an explosion of non-Christian churches in the last 20 years. Mostly, this is due to immigration. Now, I'm not against immigration. I'm simply saying because people are coming out from outside of the United States, they're mostly not Christian. They're mostly Muslim, Buddhist, or something else, or whatever. Okay? So, obviously, the more that come in, the more these types of churches are going to crop up. Yes or no? That's obvious. So, 
immigration is the main reason, but there's other factors as well, including the power of Satan, which we cannot discount. If Satan can start churches that aren't Christian, he's going to do it. Amen? Now, consider that this means that out of the 400,000 churches that we now have, one quarter of them are either brand new churches based on personal preference, and there's another quarter that are, that are non-Christian, meaning they're Islamic, Buddhist, Satanic, or something else. Think on that for a moment. This is incredibly scary to me. That means over half, or about half, of the 400,000 churches are either brand new or they're not Christian. Does that scare you? It does me. Half of our churches are out there not conforming to something that's been established for literally centuries that Jesus started. And that doesn't mean that they're not Christian in origin. It doesn't mean that they don't conform to a lot of Christian belief systems. And it doesn't mean that all the brand new ones started aren't following the Word of God. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, if they're mostly started because they a personal preference, because they didn't like conformity, I would say we have quite a problem on our hands. And isn't that the society we're breeding today? I believe that it is. Nonconformist, nonconformity, don't tell me no, don't want to follow rules, don't want authority in front of me or on top of me, don't tell me how to be or how to do or, or what, what to think. Well, <laughs> there are tried and true things in history that we have to remember. In fact, you remember the statement, those who refuse to remember history are doomed to repeat it. My friends, we need to learn from those who have come before us who've been there and done that. Well, this generation doesn't want to do it. And henceforth, we're finding that these churches are cropping up because of that. Now, that's not all of it, but that's a big chunk of it. Remember, either brand new because they didn't want to conform to established belief systems or polity, or they're of non-Christian origin and belief systems. Now, before I let the dust settle on that, I want to look at the 200,000-plus already established Christian churches in the United States. You follow me here? I don't want to confuse you. Literally thousands of these churches claim relativity to the church of the New Testament. What I mean by that is, of the 200,000-plus churches that are established and have been for some time, they claim to be a relative, claim to be part of the New Testament church of the Acts of the Apostles that Jesus said, this is it. They're New Testament churches. They believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and it is the basis of Him that they're there. You understand that? Relativity to the New Testament, okay? The problem is many of them, maybe even possibly most of them, don't appear to show the traits and practices that the Bible says ought to be there in a New Testament church. Now, don't take my word for it. I want you to consider that for a minute. Think about what people say Christianity is. Think about what they say Jesus would do. Think about what they say to them Christianity has become, why they believe it, and what their belief system is. You don't need me to tell you. You already know, okay? But I'm going to, of course, go down this road so that you understand some things. Jesus said He would build the church upon this rock, a rock, a strong foundation. This rock has to be a solid foundation. It was solid in Peter's day because Peter and those with him understood, my friends, get this, write this down. They understood who Jesus was. 
you and I, to be the part of that foundation, have to start and understand who Jesus not only was, but is. Who He is. Their faith, their understanding, and their obedience to the truth showed in the way that they lived. And shouldn't it show in the way that we live? Shouldn't it show in the way that we think and believe? I would say so. Okay? The way they thought, and most importantly, how they served and gave to the church was important. This made the church of that time and going forward a fortress, and it is why the gates of Hades would not stand against it. Okay? That's why it's continued all the way through time, even now. And let me tell you something. From that time forward, people tried to destroy it. Governments tried to stop it, and Satan has tried to close it. But it hasn't. Why? Because Christ said, I will build my church, and upon this rock I will build it. And the gates of Hades cannot, will not, never will stand against it. So remember that as you look at the makeup of the church. Now, today, does the church look like a fortress? Friends, I have to be honest. It doesn't look like a fortress to me. We have too many differences. We're not united. That scares me. It scares me because it's going to make the church pretty weak. And that's why the church isn't strong in our nation politically and otherwise. People aren't afraid of it anymore. They're not afraid of what Christians think and say anymore. Why? Because we're in the minority now. And why is that? Because the church is becoming smaller in, in relative strength to the population that we have. Less and less Christians based on population explosion. Less and less people believing in the Word of God. Less and less people uh, living their lives on the Word of God. And we can't even agree within the church. That's scary, and it makes us weak. Okay? So as I think about that, I realize that because the Christians that make it up today, we don't have the attributes or the resolve that the early Christians did. They were willing to die for this church. I'm not so sure we are today. Oh, we say it. We're not will I, I don't think we're willing to die because we don't appear to be willing to sacrifice for it. It's almost like I'll go to church, I'll pick a church, but I want to know what I'm going to get out of it. I want to know what the church can do for me. I want to know what the church can do for my family. I want to know if it's got the children's ministries that I'm looking for. I want to know if, it, if it's got the social attributes that I'm looking for, the who's who. I want to know if it's in a location that I like. I want to know if the building is something that I could go, at, go to. I want to know if the worship is what I'm looking for. That's how we pick churches. And that pastor, he better not ruffle my feathers. And he or she better not upset me or step on my toes. And if they do, well, I'm just not going to go there anymore. Don't tell me that's not happening today. We don't have the wherewithal that these people did. I can tell you right now we don't because I can see it. And I don't need people to agree with me. I know what I see. Friends, that's not the strong foundation Jesus is talking about. And it can't be. And I have to wonder, if that's the church we're building, what does it look like? What exactly does it look like? In short, there is a serious lack of deep spirituality in the modern church. And this is something, friends, without question, we're just going to have to change. And though, so I began to think, and I thought, okay, well, then what should make up the church? First, the church belongs to Christ. That's the truth. The church belongs to Christ. Friends, I don't care what people call a church. I don't even care what we're taught, even demanded, that we be tolerant. I don't care about that. Well, I know we're taught, we're taught and told to be tolerant. I don't care about that. Jesus wasn't tolerant when it came to that stuff. 
He said, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build it on a strong foundation, and I'm not going to do anything to change that. It's going to happen. I won't compromise it. So how can we? Just because people call something a church doesn't make it a church. And just because they think they're Christian doesn't mean they are. That's why we have to go back to the New Testament and say, well, what does the Word of God say about that? If we're going to call ourselves Christian and we're going to call ourselves a Christian church, what exactly is Christian according to the Word of God? Not what I want to believe, not what people have told me, but what is it according to God? According to God. Now, if it's a true Christian church, then it has to belong to Jesus Christ. Why? He built it, He purchased it, and He gave Himself for it. Now, that means it isn't my church, it isn't your church, it isn't your preacher's church. It's God's church. We are forbidden by law, my friends, both God's law and societal law, to take liberties with someone else's property. You and I both know that. We've been taught early on. If it isn't yours, don't touch it. Don't take it. Don't misuse it. Don't misappropriate it. Okay? We've been taught that. There are laws against that. Here's the question. What have we done with this one? What have we done with Christ's church? Are there consequences if we do it in societal law? Yes. Are there consequences with God if we do it with His church? Absolutely. So, I think there's enough said on that, but we have to be reminded of it. But here's the thing. If the church belongs to Christ, then that means He's the head of the church. His word is and always has been, always will be, the authority. Amen? Got to remember that. Its characteristics have to be determined by Christ then. If Christ is the head, then what He says a church is going to be, what makes it up and what it looks like is determined by Him, not us. Why is it that we want to have such a say-so in what it looks like then? Personal preference. Then we just go back to that, to the churches that are being created today because we're nonconformist? If the early church was built upon the Word of God, then what are we building it on today? If we're changing it because we don't like what it's built on, if we don't like the preferences, then what, what's the problem? The problem is we're becoming who we want to be, not what Christ says we ought to be. Now, it means that the questions ought to be Christ answered. The problems have to be Christ solved. The rules have to be based on Him. And this takes away any synods, any ecclesiastical courts, and any tribunals which are designed to determine how to reinterpret the Scripture, because that's exactly what we're doing today. And before you have an idea that I'm, I'm not being truthful or you don't agree with me, listen carefully. Friends, this is exactly what certain denominations are doing relating to homosexuality and other issues right now. They're getting tribunals and people together to reinterpret the Scripture based on personal preference. That's a fact. And there are people in those denominations that will admit to that fact today. My friends, what are we doing? What's happening? Well, it's kind of obvious. All of these things are based on personal preference and desired belief systems. To me, if it's important enough to be an issue, then it's important enough to let Christ settle it. What do you think? And in the Word of God, He's already done that. We already have the owner's manual for human life and what the church ought to be. Why are we trying to reinvent the wheel, reinterpret what's already there? Well, we can't. So what are we debating then? If we're having these tribunals, what are we debating about? It's real simple. We don't like what's already been established as a rule of spiritual law. 
We don't like it. And so we're trying to find ways to reinterpret spiritual law so that we can be the Christian that we want to be and still gain God's favor and live in eternity with Him. Friends, it doesn't work that way. Hence, the sheep and the goats in the Scripture. Jesus wasn't fooling around. He wasn't kidding. So, let's talk about the last thing. Christ is the way, the truth, and get this, I'm going to change it up on you. You want to say the life, and He is. But He's the way, the truth, and in this case, the door. Let me explain how I arrived at that. In John 10 and 14, we find that only those coming by Christ through His door can enter. He said that. It is His prerogative to say what one must be in order to be saved. It's His prerogative to say and determine what one must be to be a Christian. Wouldn't you say? Your feelings, your mother, your grandmother, what you've always believed, and what your church has always practiced. And the societal majority have absolutely nothing to do with it. It's everything to do with what Jesus says. Christ sent His apostles to bring people unto Himself. We have ample proof of that in Mark 16 and Acts 2. Now, if you have not gone through that door, then you have not entered into Christ. Paul says so in Galatians 3. If you didn't enter through the door of Christ, he says, Behold, I am the door. I stand at the door, and I knock. So there's a door into Christ, there's a door into your soul. Both got to be open so you can pass. Amen? This has to happen. Now, here's another thing. Jesus is and always will be the final judge. Now, I know we want to go to people who are, we think are strong Christians and who will tickle our ears and tell us what we want to think and believe. Because if we like something, we'll go to somebody who agrees with us. That's who we are. Because if we don't like what Christ is saying, what the Word of God is saying, we'll reinterpret it or go someplace where they interpret it a different way. Well, friends, <laughs> I think God's going to say, well, no, you can't do that. People may say that these things are not important, but remember that Christ is and always will be the final judge. He will judge on the basis of His Word. Again, the Word has told us that this is true. Jesus Himself said so in John 12, 48 to 50 in Luke 10, 16. We are, He says, to be doers, not judges. That's His job. James 1, 2, and 4 are clear about that as well. The New Testament church, my friends, is the church of Christ. Romans 16, 16 says so. And I thought about that. Is this an odd conclusion? Can... A letter written to the Roman church by the Apostle Paul so many hundreds of years ago really say that this is true? Well, it better because that's what he said. The fact is, what possible objection could somebody have in calling the church today God's church, Christ's church? The only reason we would have an aversion to it is if we want it to be our church. We want it to be what we want it to be. Well, you know my thoughts on that. But let's not forget the way in the door. No matter what happens on earth, if we belong to Him, we have eternity. And during this pandemic, my friends, there's a couple things I want to call to your attention. This is a great promise that we have. It's a great promise to hold on to. It's a great promise to attach to because we're going to need something, okay? And, and, and I want to tell you something, uh, uh, suggest something to you that I think is, 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 is very profound. Jesus is and always will be on the throne. Of that, there could be no doubt. This means that as a church, we receive not only the blessings, but also the protection, the direction, and the solutions that He wants to offer us. 
but it's up to us to receive them. Friends, this is the time to remember and embrace this truth. I mean, honestly, what can God not do? Nothing. There's nothing beyond Him. And so I began to think, and this is my last point, what has Christ built? This is the profound thing I want you to understand. I think this pandemic is going to show us and those around us what Jesus has actually built. I want that to sink into your mind just for a second. This pandemic, and any, any, and any like it, is going to prove to us and to others what Jesus has actually built. If the foundation was built on solid rock, you know, the wise people who are strong and spiritually obedient to the Lord, then it's going to stand. It will be a fortress and a beacon of light everywhere. But if the foundation is built on the sand, you know, the spiritually weak, the weak-minded and weak-hearted people who claim a relationship with God but don't live their life because on Scripture and Christian principles because they want to reinterpret what's there, then when the storms come like this one is, it's going to fall flat. What part of the foundation are you? What part of the foundation am I? And what did Jesus envision on that Palm Sunday when He came in and the people did this with the palm fronds and were joyous in celebration? And what happened in the span of a week when, when He didn't do what they wanted because they want to reinterpret what Christianity ought to be, that they turned on Him and crucified Him on the cross at Calvary? It's a fair question. Friends, Christ has already begun to build His church. You and I are part of it. It's constructed with the saints of old, the saints of today, and the saints of the future. And if you are not part of His church, then you're not His, and you haven't been bought with His blood. You haven't been freed from slavery to sin, and you haven't been cleansed from your sins, and you aren't saved. That's a fact. But if you are, then you're part of His church, and you are the one He is building His church with. Are you on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ? Are you part of the saints of today on whom He is building His church? Does your life reflect this truth? Are you continuing to worship the Lord Jesus Christ during this time, regardless of what's going on around you? Are you continuing to allow, allow the Holy Spirit to bring joy to your life, regardless of what's going on around you? And are you exuding that to others around you because of what joy is within? Are you resting on His promises during this time? Are you ministering to others during this time? those who are spiritually weak? Are you giving sacrificially of yourself and relying on the Lord for your needs? Are you continuing to tithe during this time? Are you continuing to allow the Lord to take care of your needs on a day-to-day -day basis and those the needs of your family? Because remember, He cares about them more than you do. That's a fact, okay? You see, friends, there are hoarders out there wiping out the shelves at stores. And I think some of them might be Christians. Does that even kind of go together? It shouldn't. Take what you need and allow the Lord to take care of you. I mean, it's like the Israelites and the manna. He said, don't gather any more than you need. But they did and found out it didn't, it didn't last anyway. That doesn't show that we allow the Lord to take care of us. And friends, I'm not telling you not to prepare. I didn't say that, and neither, neither is he. But what he is saying is, who do you serve? Who's your Lord? 
And do you trust me? What kind of church is Christ building with the Christians that are present on earth today? That's what I want to know. And I think we're going to find the result pretty soon. So, here's what I would say to us today. Regardless of what happens in the world, what happens for us day to day, this is just one thing in a line of things. This pandemic is nothing new. There were ones before it, there will be ones after it. Okay? But God is still Him. His Son's still on the throne. He still bought and purchased you by His own blood. And because He did, you have the joy of heaven if you believe and if you live a life accordingly. So let's be the Christians that Christ has called us to be. How about that? Let's start there today. That's your word. Look at what the church could be and look what He intended. And let's be what He intended, not what we want it to be based on our own interpretation of what we want it to be. That's the difference. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are to be in your house today. Whether we're in the sanctuary at Free Life or we're doing it at home, we're gathered together in your name. And because we are, that is your sanctuary. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from the kingdom of God. And so we're grateful and thankful that we can worship you today at home or in the sanctuary or wherever we are. And we're grateful that your word instructs us. We're grateful that your Holy Spirit instructs us from within. And we're grateful that He wants to control everything about us so that we too can have eternity with you when the time comes. Father, I pray for those listening today. And I pray for those that aren't. And I pray, God, that you would abound in us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, you would direct, that you, Father, would protect us, not only from this pandemic, but from the spiritual attacks that we know are coming. Father, I believe that this pandemic is a spiritual attack. I believe that the devil wanted to stop Easter from happening this year. I believe he wants to stop people from assembling in the church sanctuary. Well, he might do it for a, a short time, but we're still assembling anyway. And not only that, the time is going to come when he's going to be defeated in this manner as well, and we will once again assemble together physically. Father, I pray for that. I, I'm thankful for that. And I pray, Lord, you'll continue to be with us in that. God, touch, bless us. Uh, keep us together, we pray, spiritually and otherwise. And in all things, will you honor yourself through us. Help us to remember and be reminded who we are and why and what's actually building the church. Help us to be the church you intended to be. Help us to be like the Old Testament Christians and the New Testament Christians before Christ even came, up, came aboard, where we can know what we're supposed to be. The church started well before Christ was ever born. And I'm grateful that it has continued from His birth and forward. Help us to be the building stones that you intend so that we can be the church that's a fortress and a beacon no matter what. Thank you for being with us today. And thank you, Father, for being on the throne. We're grateful and thankful we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be careful, be safe, be healthy. See you next time.